And we are back, and because it is Wednesday, and for no other reason, Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer have joined us in the studio. I almost said Jeff Flemmer. Why would I say that? <laughs> For no other reason. Well, I, yeah, I guess let me let me back up a little bit. It's Wednesday morning at twelve thirty and eleven thirty. What time is eleven thirty? This is getting worse rather than better. And we're joined in this, we're joined in the studio by my compatriots on left, right, and center. Our regular Wednesday feature: Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer. And some people have uh, people who've not been listening to the program for a long time i've uh, got had two emails the last couple of weeks saying uh, you, you don't tell us who these people are i assume that most of our regular listeners would know who they are uh, jeff schlemmer is a local lawyer uh, neighborhood legal services the head of neighborhood legal services mm-hmm. um, a man with a uh, uh, connections to the liberal party and uh, and uh, heartstrings that i think uh, connect him to the uh, to the um, underdog in many situations is that a fair yep is that a fair yeah, way to put time. it um, Bob Metz is uh, the man behind Freedom Party in this part of Ontario. Um, he's a man, I think, very outspoken on the, the issues of uh, civil libertarianism and individual liberties and uh, the free market and so on. A man who's, uh, uh, I, would n- I would not go so far as to say is any less compassionate than Jeff, but perhaps his compassion is, uh, uh, flows along different lines and uh, tries to reach uh, needed beneficiaries in different dire- from different directions. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. Okay, all right. So, and the three of us come together to take a look at issues of the day and discuss them and try to bring some different political perspectives. I, I move to the center here. You know, sometimes I occupy the left, sometimes I'm on the right. For the purposes of these discussions, I try to stay somewhere between these two guys and uh, keep them separate when they get really ugly with each other. Which seldom <laughs> happens. I want to ask you just one quick thing, and Bob, you talked about this last week. I asked you this question last week um, mm. about the the Green Lane and Toronto buying it now. Oh yes. Um, interesting. During the week now, we've had local politicians uh, declaim rather loudly that they're going to do everything possible to stop this. They're going to derail it. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. They're going to do something else. In today's paper, it was announced that the mayors have all accepted it. They've said we can't do anything about it. We don't have the power. We don't have the jurisdiction. It's out of our hands. The minister, uh, environment minister, has said, Laura Broughton has said, well, I'm, I can't do anything about it uh, because Bob Metz said last week on Jim Chapman's <laughs> show, it's a private deal, and uh, that's just about it. Now they're trying to bring the First Nations people in as another angle on doing this. Is your observation, Bob, changed at all from last week? No, it's, it's outrageous hysteria. Garbage is going into that area regardless of where it's coming from. Um, you know, in, in the hysteria about ownership of the thing, some of the real issues that could have been brought out in this have been lost. And I think one of the big big ones doesn't just pertain to garbage, because I think it's like any other goods or service, although we don't like to think of it as it's the end waste of, of the other services we use. But that's the, the issue of transportation and things like that. Those are the issues that, that bother people, all the trucks on the highways. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason we have all the trucks on the highways is because our railways are run by the bloody government and they just won't get their act together. You could have a rail. One train a day could do the job from Toronto to, to, the, to the landfill site, you know, because if they've only got, what, 85 to 90 trucks a day going, well, that's 85 cars, maybe not even that, right, yeah. on a train. Mm-hmm. And uh, But that's just not being done. That's... Southern Ontario used to be the train center, but now we're the roads and, you know, trucks competing with cars. And trucks still have a function, don't get me wrong. I mean, they have to do all the local stuff, but having them do the long hauls is, to me, it seems economically inefficient. Now, Howard Hampton claims that the minister has the ability to step in here and that she's derelict in her duty, that she has the the, the ability, and not only the ability, but the responsibility to step in and, and defend the environment. Jeff, uh, when you hear Howard say that, how do you respond to that? 
Well, certainly she can step in, and uh, to suggest that there's no government regulation on private property would take us back to, I would think, the mid-1800s, so there certainly has been since then. So when she says that it's a private deal and the government has no role in relation to private deals, that's just not true. Uh, Further, I believe she's the one who just licensed the expansion this year, Mm -hmm. uh, so... She may say, say, I've done that, and I'm not going back and redoing it. But to say it's a private deal that has nothing to do with us is just not true. But, uh, but, what, it, but it, let, explain to us then, because you're the only lawyer among the three of us. How, on what criteria does the government have the right to intervene in a private deal? I mean, they can't just willy-nilly walk in and say you're not going to do that. They have to have oh, some sure, grounds. Sure they can. They, they are our democratically elected officials. They can do whatever they want in Canada. Uh, but uh, as to whether they... Well, will, subject, subject to the Constitution. They couldn't, for, right. well, they, as we, they we, couldn't, for example, if I said I wanted to sell my house to my friend in Toronto and somebody in the government didn't like him, they couldn't stop me from selling my house. Oh, sure they could. They could expropriate it. But you're right. The thing they can't do is break the Constitution unless they change the Constitution, which is within their power. But uh, th- what, what uh, really interests me about this is that this is... This deal is is naked about naked power essentially, and the the way it's presented to us is that Toronto has the power to buy this land, that the provincial government has the power to choose to do, not to do anything about it, which is quite true. Uh, the Tory uh, government or the Tory opposition, I believe, has come out and said that they would not undo it either. Uh, if they were elected, and it makes sense that uh, in terms of power politics that there are a lot more votes in Toronto than there are in London. But having said that, you know, I've been negotiating for a living for the last 20 years, and what always strikes me is that often the underdog does have power that they may not have thought about. And what I really like is when an underdog comes out with a way to demonstrate some power that the other skies haven't maybe thought of. And we see this all the time. It's like back in the 60s, I used to just wonder, how in the world can Vietnam think it's going to stand up to the United States? How can Iraq? And yet people figure out ways of doing these things. And I'm reading this morning about the roads and thinking, yeah, who, who has responsible for, the, for county roads? I, I suspect the local municipalities do. And if they decided that they weren't going to service them or that they were going to change them or reroute them around this place, that would be pretty interesting because, again, that's their pa- within their power you know, to do. Be careful what you wish for. The reason that the government's not acting on this is because it's in their interest. 20 years oh, from sure. now, London's going to be in the same position as Toronto. We're going to wonder where we're going to be putting our garbage. Well, we and, you know, garbage should be a free market. We already did it. We already I'm not did saying it. that's oh, the sure. reason. Yeah, that's right. We already did I understand. exactly what yeah. Toronto did. I understand. To, to Westminster. That's right. To Westminster. We did exactly the same thing. And that's not right. only well, that. We can argue whether, it's a, whether, it's, whether we have a moral leg to stand on or not. But as far as whether in terms of power, are we powerless? We're clearly not powerless at all. We have a level of government, one of our three levels of government, that has all kinds of power within its jurisdiction that it can choose to exercise if it but feels like it. But it's obstructionist power, isn't it? You talked about it's the power over proper, private property, which is unacceptable to me. Well, say you're, you're going to do something, you tell me you can't, you can't stop me, and I'll say, well, let's just see about that. What would end up happening is the way these things always unfold is that if somebody comes up with a way to do that, to drag things out in the courts for years, there'll be some more negotiation, and suddenly things will change. But we're and told, like, but we are told that the municipalities are creatures of the provincial government, that mm-hmm. no municipality effectively can really oppose the provincial government for very long. Is that not true? Well, there's two issues. The first is that they, can, they have all the power that's invested by statute. So the government would actually have to change the statute to do it. It's not something where they can just snap their fingers and say, we're going to ignore the law. You don't have any power. There are laws that they have to follow or they have to change. And it's not that 
uh, governments usually don't change laws lightly. Usually you wouldn't see them changing a statute over a situation in one place, for example. The other thing is that collectively do Ontario municipalities have power? Uh, of course they do. They've got an association. And if they all again band together to stand up to the province and say, we don't like this, you know, and we're going to be difficult to deal with unless you um, come part way, that would happen. Okay, we're going to pause for a second come right back more on Left, Right and Centre with Schlemmer and Metz. It's Left, Right and Centre, Schlemmer and Metz. Okay, guys, in 15 seconds or less, why is Belinda Stronick on the front page of uh, most Canadian newspapers today with some variation of the other woman? Who cares? Because does anybody, she's cute. Does, does anybody care? She's cute. She'll sell newspapers. A lot of people buy that newspaper because her face is there looking attractive. Well, you know, I think it's got more to do with the fact that <laughs> that was 15 seconds. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I've already wasted my 15 seconds being surprised. <laughs> but uh, these are people in the, both Belinda and Ty are people in the public eye. I mean, they're used as, we're supposed to be aspiring to these people. They represent us in many ways. Um, I think uh, right now I can just, Stephen Harper must be so happy that, that she's not <laughs> a member of his party right now because from the beginning she's she's basically exhibited all the, the symptoms of a completely self-indulgent, self-concerned um, individual and who cannot be trusted. And uh, I said that the for very first time we talked about her and everything, just bang, 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 bang. So... Uh, I, I, yeah. I couldn't help but think about Peter McKay. Peter McKay's love yeah. life has been in the in the newspapers right. lately. Peter McKay and Condoleezza Rice, yes. a little, you know, several notches above, I think, Belinda Stronach and Ty Domi. It's, uh, for, you know, although I have to, I have to admit that my my guilty pleasure is like People Magazine, Us Magazine. I, I don't know why, but there's something about celebrities and pictures of them shopping that I just can't get enough of. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> it helps you realize that in many ways they're just like you. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you about this this uh, opera cancellation in Germany. There's an opera was going to be staged, and part of the opera of, of features. I've never seen this opera, don't anything about it, but apparently it's it's popular among opera goers. There's a part in it where they, for reasons known only to opera, they present the severed heads of a number of famous people, including Muhammad is one of the people, and they've been threatened, and they are dropping it from their playbill um, because they they. Say they're, they they feel threatened. They don't want to do this. I don't want to make this comment on on Muslim culture or anything like that because uh, again, I suspect it's a you know it's a small minority who's would push this to violence. But uh, if it's such a small minority, why does everyone always give in to them? Because it only takes one nut bar to put a bullet. No, in I don't head. think so. I've been threatened by union people here in the city who <laughs> when we picked up garbage for the city and mm -hmm. stuff, and nothing like that ever happened. Um, I, I, if you give in to it all the time, then, then you're, you're encouraging it by giving in to it. So the next play they do, if somebody's going to say something, oh, I don't like this or I don't like that. But uh, you just don't do those kind of things unless, as you say, it's not a minority but a large number of people. And I think that's more close to the case. Um, well, I guess the other way they could have gone would have been to, to publicize the fact that, the, and I heard a segment about this last night on the radio, um, interviewing the uh, the manager there and she said that she had gotten uh, word from the police I guess that mm -hmm. uh, that there was a, a risk and, and she said I don't even know what it was exactly they just said there's a risk if you continue this and she said you know me knowing that and not telling other people would seem to be a bad thing because 
if there was a risk and something went wrong and I hadn't warned anybody, then then I'm, you know, uh, bad. And uh, I suppose the other way to do it would be to publicize it sort of throughout the country that there is this risk and people can choose to go or not go. Uh, maybe performers can choose to perform or not perform. Uh, maybe just closing it down right out of the blue like that and not giving people the choice as to whether they feel intimidated by it or whether they feel it puts their safety at risk uh, was, was acting too quickly. But clearly she had to tell the public who might show up there. I don't think it would be fair to just continue on and, and people be going and buying tickets to this thing and not realizing that it might be the target. Okay, here's a question for you. This opera was written by Mozart, one of the, one of the certifiable geniuses of the human race, in the history of the human race. Uh, no, no, absolutely no question about this man's genius. Uh, a unique individual in the, in the history of music. Um, William Shakespeare, who some people would make similar claims for, at least in the English language, uh, wrote a play called The Merchant of Venice, which is, uh, the, much of that play is very insulting and denigrating to Jews. Um, I thought it was lawyers that was denigrating to Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, Both, I think. Are we going to start talking about the ones that are, yeah. Um, is there a point at which we start to draw parallels here and say, well, if we can't do Mozart's opera because it might offend some people, then perhaps the Merchant of Venice ought not be mounted anymore. Well, we've seen that with uh, um, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn being banned mm -hmm. in um, Godridge uh, Board of Ed within the last 20 years. Uh, but I think there is a significant difference if you are saying, we're not going to do it this way, we've done it before, we're going to sanitize the language, we're going to you know, take out some of the anti-feminist or the anti-feminine uh, talk and so on, to, because we are sensitive to not wanting to hurt feelings. It's a bit different than saying, uh, we're not going to do this because somebody's going to come in with a bomb strapped to them and kill a lot of people. Um, I think there's a difference in that sense. And so how do, Bob, how do uh, you resist that difference then in in a free society I, I think when you're talking about the merchant of venice just because it's got disparaging marks about jews in it that wasn't shakespeare's purpose in writing the play it wasn't an anti-jewish diatribe well, it was just reflecting the the culture in which he wrote the play of the yeah, type of characters that were in it same with mark time. twain yeah. uh, you can't talk about that period in time without talking about racism it was part of the mm -hmm. fabric of the society I guess and just reflecting it in a book or talking about it or being blunt is not a a slight on anyone but as you far know as I'm very concerned. well bob you both know very well that there is a movement a literary movement out there that suggests we should be doing well that. it's a sick movement and i think they should give them give their heads a shake for heaven's sakes you know yeah. I, I was watching i don't know if you caught that show by uh, richard dawkins who recently had a no. thing on um i think it was cbc news world um the god delusion family feud i can't remember i don't know but he's he's, he's uh he's he's he brought up on the show the other night that the cartoons that that, that apparently uh, the Islam's got so upset about, you know, the three cartoons that that Danish newspaper mm -hmm. published, we saw all the cartoons and we were looking at them and going, well, these are kind of benign. What's all the excitement about? Apparently he said that the three cartoons that were shown to the Islamic world were totally different cartoons and they were drawn by Islamic extre extremists to get everybody riled up. Now, to me, that was a profound statement. I'm surprised they didn't expand on that issue, right? Well, do we believe but, him? Is, or, or, well, he's doing the research on it. He's mm -hmm. been doing a book. He's over there. He, if you see the documentary, he's talking to these people. He's, ta and he's not just Islam, but all religions. It was a, pretty much a diatribe against all religions. Yeah. But um, uh, it was very interesting to hear some of the background and some of the things we just don't hear. And it's nice I think the both worlds get two totally different views of each other, and then they're told different things about each other, and they're reacting to totally different 
in non-essential elements, you know. Mm -hmm. And the about there's the a lot of manipulation arts, going on. Though, is that we, we have choice in a lot of these things. It's not like we have a, a government that's forcing us to watch this, that, or the other thing. And to me, the difference between Shakespeare with the original language versus Shakespeare with contemporary language is like going to a high mass in Latin and the Catholic Church or going to one, uh, you know, using modern English. Uh, people have a choice, I think, as to which they want to do. And I think but only a, one of them is Shakespeare. I'm yeah, so, I agree. I'm sorry. I agree. That's fine. One of Except that, again, it makes Shakespeare less accessible if we say it has I to disagree. be done that way. It's the same with the Bible, for instance, that some people would argue that it should never have been made into the New American Standard and so on, that all of these things are taking away from a, a work from the 1600s, which, as Bob points out, may have been partly written by Shakespeare. Uh, you know, but uh, having said that, I'm not an arbiter of what people like when they, when they want to go out and enjoy themselves and relax. Am I going to say you have to relax watching an original script of something because that's what I think is pure? Uh, frankly, I think the market should decide. And I, I, there's been a lot of success, as we know, in the last 15 years about movies that are based on Shakespeare or even ones that are, are Shakespeare. Al Pacino has been in one. But I've been well, based on is different. A lot of Star Trek episodes yeah. were based on Shakespearean well, but again, ideas. I think it's, it's remarkable how Shakespeare's remained relevant. Relevant. And part of it is because they have adopted, uh, they have uh, made these movies well. I guess uh, West Side Story, for example, mm -hmm. uh, there was, uh, was it Somebody Must Die uh, was the one within the last 10 years for kids. It's all about gangs again. No, well, I know I shouldn't bring his name die. up, but didn't Mel Gibson uh, play Hamlet? Yes. In, in, did you see that performance? No, nope. I, I saw the movie and I saw the castle when I was in Scotland. Uh, do you know... Spring. I walked, I, I didn't, when I first saw the movie, I walked into it in the middle. My daughter or someone else was watching it at the time. And I saw Mel Gibson in this scene. I think it was the to be or not to be scene, and then a little bit beyond that. And I, I said, have they changed the language? Have they updated it? I understand everything implicitly. No, it was verbatim from Shakespeare. Because when it is acted properly, now I understood what it meant. Shakespeare's meant to be acted, not to be read, yeah. you know? Yeah. And when someone can act it properly, you are not even aware of the language difference. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, all of a sudden, the words become poetic in a different way because you know exactly what, what's on his mind. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that was the first time, you know, I, you know, I hate to give him a word on this one, he's not in the popular eye right now, but that was a, per a gr tremendous performance for Mel Gibson. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. Yeah. And the castle is something to see. We're going to mm -hmm. pause for a second. We're coming right back with more. Stay with us. I want to come back to... Um, uh, I want to come back to where we were there just a minute ago. The, the issue, though, of... Shakespeare, because I kind of got you off on a different track there. We're not talking about Shakespeare here, though. We're talking about Mozart. We're talking about an opera. We're talking about an opera that's been performed for, what, 300 years? An opera that, that on the same level of, of uh, outrage might be, might be um, aroused from other ethnic groups, other religious groups. I'm just looking here to get the list of the, uh, because it's not just Muhammad. It is... Uh, Buddha, Jesus, Poseidon, and Muhammad. The uh, severed heads of the four of them are placed on chairs as part of this opera. Now, what the story of the opera is, I do not know. I'm not an opera. I'm not an opera fan. Well, here, it tells the mythical story of Poseidon, the god of the sea who toys with men's lives and demands spiteful sacrifice. Huh. Well, if you were a follower of Poseidon, you might be upset. If you were a Buddhist, you might be. If you were a Christian, you certainly might be. Or if you were a Muslim, you might be. But the might be, isn't that where, isn't that sort of what defines a civilized society, the might be's? Well, and I think that if you think back to, uh, there was a time when it was white supremacists who were scaring people about things they were going to do. They were going to have uh, some event with a black person in it or whatever. And in those days, it was, I think, by and large, considered to be the courageous thing to do, that the show must go on. Um, but having said that, again, I, I just think that it's only fair if you're inviting people into your theater 
that if there is some kind of a risk that they may not know about, to make sure they do know about it. And so they can make the decision as to whether they want to be courageous and stand up to uh, threats or not. So you don't think it's up to the players or up to the people who are mounting the play to make those kinds of decisions? Well, I'd say it's up to whoever's in the bomb radius <laughs> to decide for themselves whether they want to be there or not. And uh, so if an actor doesn't want to be there, it reminds me of uh, reading about the border guards in B.C. a couple of days ago who all took mm -hmm. off um, because they heard a scary American was coming. Um, you know, So generally speaking, I don't expect people to put their lives at risk unless that's what they signed on for in the first place, although I'm surprised to find the border guards don't sign on for that because I would have thought that was... Part of their job. No, they're not. They're not armed. They're not. Uh, they're not prepared to confront. Uh, there have already been threats yeah. made against us right here, right now, anytime. You know, by mm -hmm. terrorists around the world. Why aren't we acting the same way now? Why don't we close up everything? I just say I don't think it's up to. I d it shouldn't be up to a government to decide. We're not going to broadcast something, or we're not going to allow uh, something. Well, to a be specific performed. threat should be known. I agree, but I think there's. I think you're trying to get at a different issue here, aren't you, Jim? I, uh, I am really because the. I think the issue here is not whether or not something will transpire as a result of this, but at what point do you say, does anyone say, and I think it's an individual decision, at what point do you say, I'm not going to be intimidated by this? At what point do you climb back on the plane and fly to New York City? Yeah, well, that's the next question. Would I go still to the play? And I hope that I would. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been playing for three years, for one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would hope that I would not be intimidated by that, uh, just as I hope I would not be intimidated by a white supremacist making a threat. And, and it's, yeah, I've had threats, too, uh, over the years. Anybody who's in public life yeah. is going to have somebody who's not mentally well yeah. threaten to kill you at some point. Um, so you, you also take those things into consideration. How likely is it and, uh, you know, what can you do about it? But I think that absolutely you don't just sort of buckle at the first sign of, a, of somebody saying, mm. if you do something, I'm going to uh, hurt you. A person who's not mentally well is, in any respect, much less of a threat than an ideologically driven, well-organized group mm -hmm. um, that's got intent, uh, you know, plans and purposes to get at you. Uh, a lot of the threats are idle, but that's part of the nature of terrorism, is is to, you know, constantly threaten, pull back, threaten, pull back. It just takes one event to keep everybody on edge for years and years. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, uh, you know, that's almost the nature. Terrorism almost could not spread and could not be a uh, a meaningful force were it not for media. Mm hmm take the media away, terrorism ends instantly, mm -hmm. you know? So it's all about spreading rumor and innuendo and, and misinformation and stuff like that. Thank goodness for the in Internet. While it can be a great source of misinformation, it can, can be a source of proper information as well. In the two minutes we have left, I want to ask each of you about the accommodation that was reached between Senator McCain and Senator Warner and Senator fill-in-the-blank and uh, President Bush on this issue of the Geneva Convention. McCain, of course, was a war prisoner, was tortured. Uh, and has very very strong feelings about this that we have to have some very clear guidelines and so on. They've they've cut a deal that seems to suggest that if the president deems it in the national interest, he can he can sort of define the rules himself. But they're that they've got you know broader and very specific rules in place as well. Either of you concerned at any level about any of that in in thirty seconds? Well, I'm concerned because Colin Powell is concerned, and he seems like a pretty credible guy. If he was the head of their armed forces and uh, said, you know, we don't want this, we want Geneva Convention, it's the way it's been, that's the way it should be, I think he's got a lot of credibility on that issue. And I understand, uh, you know, that after 9-11, the United States is much more traumatized by terror than they were before that, but terror has been around a long time, particularly in Europe. And the problem that, that Colin Powell talks about is that once you agree that you're going to participate in torture, then it's 
free range for the other side. And if but we're going to say their contention is that it's already free range for the other side. Well, he says that, the, that 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 gives up the moral high ground. That ultimately the moral are the one. The moral people are the ones who win. He says if we choose not to be the moral ones, it's a lot less clear who's who's winning, and who's who's in the right. If you um, want to spread a civilization, you better be civilized yourself. And I think that's the great test that the West is being put under. And that was what 9/11 was all about. That was an invitation to retaliate. Mm -hmm. Someone in the Middle East wanted the West there. Uh, in situations like that, it's very understandable why. There are many analogies you can go to, both uh, in history and in fiction, why a third great power has to be brought into all these disputes you know, amongst mm -hmm. the little powers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what it's all about, and it's also a test of, of, of morality. You know? or can we actually live up to our ideals of individual rights and freedom and all that stuff and still fight an enemy so evil that they don't obey the rules? That's the test. Well, and I'm not sure that we've passed that test in the in the past. If you look at the Second World War, no, there have always been, but we've never made it our standard. No, and that's uh, true. and that's that's where the real test lies. I mean, that perhaps is the biggest difference of yeah. all. General, well th said, uh, <laughs> yeah, gentlemen, thank you for uh, another yet another good day's entertainment. And, thanks, uh, thanks, Jim. Uh, thought provoking, and that's what we're here for, folks, is to try to provoke a little thought on your part. We ask you for that hour a day, and we promise to give you a whole day's food for thought. I hope you will agree that we've managed to do that today. We'll be back again tomorrow with more of the same on the Jim Chapman News Hour. You can catch this program again at our archive. Go to jimchapman.ca and follow the instructions through the radio. That'll get you to the CHRW archive, and you can hear the last five shows waiting for you there 24-7, waiting just for you. Sky's standing by with some great music for you, so don't go anywhere. And we will be back, good Lord willing, tomorrow at 11 in the morning. In the meantime, this is Jim for Bob and Jeff and Junior the Wonder Dog. Saying please take care of each other, mind how you go, and God bless. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this presentation, visit www.justratemedia.org for more programming that's not right-wing, it's just right.